welcome to Internet Marketing for Humans, digestible internet marketing insight and advice to help you grow your business. Hello and welcome to Internet Marketing for Humans. I'm your host Andrew Laws and I am here today with uh, James Kindred from Fork. James, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit? Hello, uh, I'm James. Uh, I run a digital consultancy design business called Fork. Uh, I've been a graphic designer for over 20 years and within that time I uh, moved my skills over to web design and product building and um working out how to start businesses um, ah. and that sort of thing. Cool. Now, the this podcast, if you've heard it before, we normally try and give quite concise little tips on, on how to how to internet marketing better Yeah. Um, and probably how to speak better based on that Do sentence. better speak. Him boy, read card, good. Um, <laughs> but for this one, James and I were just chatting. We've known each other for a while and we we're talking about kind of what sort of things we could cover in, in a podcast. And James said kind of, all the horrendous mistakes we've made in the past. Yeah. So I think jokingly, but actually it's actually quite an interesting topic. So this is this episode is going to be a little bit longer than the usual sort of eight to ten minutes we aim for. But I think some interesting things are going to come up. So it's going to be fairly freeform and hopefully this will be fairly entertaining. So James, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's Brilliant. the first mistake that you want to discuss? Uh, I think it's in no chronological order, but I think that... Um, <laughs> I think the the biggest thing that I've learned is that you can either be really you can be too early with something with an mm-hmm. idea or you can be far too late with an idea and getting the timing right on something is actually the the part of the real trick on making something fly in terms of a, a business idea that either no one's really done before or you're doing something different you you can you can approach something and say this is great this is going to really work and you uh, and then you put it out there to the world mm. and no one's ready for it yeah or you can go out there and go in your head it's a great idea and you've not really done the kind of the due diligence on the idea before releasing something to the world and then there's something already out there yeah and something's coming along kind of that, that, that's either they've done it with more momentum or they've thought about it more or they've just been around longer and the, that's where the idea can fail as well so you can have an idea but uh, and someone said to me that ideas are worthless unless you do something with them Mm. and you can do something with them but sometimes the timing is the real key to actually making that idea fly okay just just as a caveat before we go any further we've both kind of agreed we're not going to mention any any client names but as a as a bit of a this is a bit of a wuss out but as a caveat i'm just going to say that a lot of the things that i test are on my own projects. They don't tend to be client stuff. Um, God, I've at one point I owned about eighty-five domains. And I had, I've been trying to shut them down. But I had websites flipping everywhere. So still now I will test test sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that just just because I don't want us to either us to sound like we're too cavalier. No, I don't I, yeah, I think I, yeah, we don't. It's not the kind of bull in the china shop approach. And I think that from my experience, obviously with with client stuff, I'm I'm reacting to the the client's idea and the client's brief Mm. and responding based on what that brief is accordingly i think that the 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 mistakes or the things i've learned most from is with my own projects and my own my own crazy ideas or ideas where i've worked on with other people from a from a pure business point of view where sometimes you can do something and in a silo it's a it's the most amazing thing you've thought of and then something along that process you can kind of go yeah that won't actually work because because of this Mm. um and there's there's many many occasions where things we've done have been too early in the process where people's thinking's not just been down that route or it's technically impossible at that stage and then two years down the line once you've abandoned that idea you suddenly see something come along and you go Hey, that was the, that's like the thing we were going to do. Yeah. How have they managed to do that? And then you suddenly realise the technology is actually caught up. Yeah. And and it's 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 possible now. And you can you know your idea can be stymied by external forces or a lack of technology at that stage. I, it's it's kind of an exciting way to be to be on kind of one of my clients used to call it the bleeding edge rather than the cutting yeah, yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah, And it's, it's a cool place to be, but yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be brave and give an example of, um, I think sometimes it's that the audience isn't ready for something. Yeah. And sometimes it's actually that it's not culturally going to work. Yeah. By, I will give you an example of something I did very recently, and this was with a client um, that, that we worked, we worked together 
and we have a very transparent relationship and and you know in terms of testing for marketing he's he's quite brave and he yep. will he will take chances on things that i think some people wouldn't but to, just to give you a, a bit of a, a cultural example of what i mean um this could be apocryphal it could not be true but I read once that when Walmart bought a German chain of stores, you know, like big supermarkets, they started trying to... Sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I'm not going to edit that out either because <laughs> this is the real world. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Walmart, Walmart bought this chain of stores in Germany and they started trying to impose what worked well in America. Mm. Now, if you go into Walmart in America, they have greeters. So you walk in and... Someone says, hi, how are you doing? Welcome to the store. So they said, right, we need to do that in Germany. Some parts of Germany are a lot more kind of socially conservative yeah. than, than some parts of America. Who are you? Why are you talking to me? They had to stop doing <laughs> yeah. it because the greeters were being punched by people. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so culturally, just what works in one place, because people were going, ah, oh, you know, like height of rudeness to interrupt kind of while someone's it's the same as like uh you know down to things like the was it the Vauxhall nova and nova in uh hispanic countries means doesn't go (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) and it's stuff like that and you know you can be you can be caught out by the 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 unexpected Mm. it's, it's always the things you don't expect which will catch you out most and you know one of the one of the products i started building a few years ago and you know it was, it was taking car payments from people and, but it was it was also acting as agent and looking after that those people's money mm-hmm. and it's like okay so we'll use an e-commerce platform that's this is before stripe as yeah. well so this is kind of you know all hail stripe all hail stripe <laughs> and and you know now you look at it from a point of view of the idea of okay we'll look after people's money and we'll distribute that money and we'll, we'll take a v stripe that that you know in this day and age that's the thing you go to is kind of stripe and or facsimiles of stripe that have come up since yeah let's do that but pre-stripe you know you the idea seems completely solid in our head and it made complete sense and, and technically we understood how that would work and then you go to a bank and barclays for example wanted a 1.2 million pound bond wow from us to make sure that we were we had enough money to disperse funds, yeah, and we were going to do what we said we were going to do. It's like well, we're a startup; we can't, you know, <laughs> we can't go out and raise one point two million pounds to. <laughs> and just and what are you going to spend there. this money on? It's just going to be sat over here doing yeah. absolutely nothing. And then strike, you know, at, at, at that stage, you can say, "Well, we were way too early with our thinking of that." And then, you know, a year later, Stripe came over to the UK, and that idea fits perfectly into what Stripe's business model was. Mm. Of, of enabling people to be able to do that sort of thing and looking at you from a point of view that all the terms and conditions are in place and everyone's money is safe, but they look at you from a point of view of enabling you rather than hog-tying you to something that you can't actually afford to do. This was why. This is one of the reasons, if you haven't heard of Stripe, um, this is one of the reasons we really love it. Kind of taking card payments, even offline in a shop or whatever, used to be such... A, a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I had a record shop years ago, and we didn't take card payments because we were a tiny little record shop selling fairly sort of esoteric music. And I think it was Barclays actually wanted a phenomenal amount of money off us each month just to be able to take card payments. Yeah. And then you got the card fees and that sort of thing on top. And now nowadays, you've got iZettle, hmm. and you can for forty nine pounds and twenty minutes filling in a bit of information you can get a card machine that does contactless payments and chip and pin sat on a nice little pedestal on your countertop and start taking payments. I, I, I use it myself. Now, if someone doesn't take card payments, which I, I was in a cafe somewhere recently, and they don't take card, I'm just thinking, well, why? Yeah. I, the reason I have it is, is for just one thing. I put on gigs. I'm a musician, um, as is James. And I realised one day that if I wanted to make venue owners happier then people coming through the door should have more money to spend at the bar. Yeah. So instead of taking, you know, five or entry fee, me sat there in the freezing cold half the time, taking five pound entrance fee and taking cash out their their wallet. I'm just taking it away from the bar at the I'm end. I'm taking it away from the bar, which yeah. which isn't isn't a good thing if you if you want to be a successful promoter. So I I just spent I think at the time it was nineteen ninety nine and I bought an iZettle, connected it to Stripe, and when people come in now, they just tap. And the the benefit is for one thing as lovely as the venues I, I, I promote at are, 
I don't like sitting there with loads of cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no cash to worry about. People are generally kind of quite pleased with it. And but this this is this talking about payments. It's another example of sometimes being too too ahead of your time. Yeah. But also sometimes the culture wherever you're located not being quite ready. I mean, the biggest one for me was I had a PayPal account pretty much from when PayPal started. It's a long time ago now. But when I tried to explain to, God, even other people in the industry at the time, or like my mum, me mum is yeah. like, she is the arbiter of what people are ready for. Yeah. She'd just, what? The money goes where? Well, they sort of look after it and then it's, what? Why? But now, you know, PayPal, well, PayPal is now funding Tesla and, yeah, exactly. and, and the Space Race, which and is I, I think, you know, if, if buskers are using eyes at all, hmm. it's culturally ready. Yeah. <laughs> Because if, if their alternative is, well, people are rarely carrying, you know, it's becoming a cashless society. And if, if I can set a minimum fee on a tap and go and I'm down on the London Underground and I can just sit there and people can walk past and, you know, rather than chuck a bit of money in or do the Mr. Bean thing where they put five four pounds in change in and take a fiver back out. <laughs> if people can just tap on their way past, it, 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 it makes the transaction easier. Mm. Uh, it the, the the real world user experience in terms of people walking past it makes it easier and I pay a small fee for potentially taking more money in the first place because people might not have change or they might not feel comfortable chucking change in for some yeah. reason if if I can just walk past and just tap my card and the minimum is two pounds you can you can stop people from chucking shrapnel in your <laughs> guitar case and they feel they feel like they're getting karma out of it and you're getting nothing out yeah. of it you just make the process easier and just have an eyes out machine on the little stand and boop, done, this two is pounds. A, a lot of what we do, I mean, obviously I'm more on the marketing and SEO side and James is very much um, user experience and called CRO, so conversion rate optimization. And a big part of both of our jobs is is removing obstacles. Yeah. It's just what, what, how can we make the route between someone becoming aware of a brand and committing to it by buying, signing up, or because it's not just commercial organizations, we work with kind of... Um, well, I'm going to start volunteering with some charities soon. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that we've kind of gone down this route quite quick, but it's not a mistake, necessarily. No, we're, we're talking about being ahead of the game, which is... And I think it's... You, you don't... There was a really interesting thing I was reading the other day, and another thing I'm involved in is is, is beer, and I read a lot about breweries. Go on, tell us the name of, of your brewery. So uh, I started... A, again, this was another thing. This is about getting the timing right. Hmm. So an old school friend... And, and I started a, a beer brand in 2016 called the Big Drop Brewing Company. And at the time, no one was really kind of engaged with or excited about low alcohol beer. And we had an idea to create a low alcohol craft beer company. So all we make is 0.5% beer. When we did it, there, there was Bex Blue uh, and Bitburger Drive and nothing else. So it, it seemed like a bit of a risk to purely dedicate ourselves to making low alcohol beer but the timing was right Mm. and that's doing really well but equally there are craft beer businesses going out of business because brewing beer is incredibly hard and if you talk to our head brewer he will say that 80% of his time is not actually brewing beer it's actually cleaning I was going to say cleaning it's the same with food industry as well yeah exactly so you've got to be absolutely spotless any sign of if you get a yeast infection or any sort of infection like you know a micro particle of dust getting onto the inside of a cap of beer can cause havoc mm. I, can cause them to exp- I've, I've did homebrew for years and yeah little speck can cause some fairly spectacular yeah, all, explosions all kinds <laughs> of crazy things can happen so and, and you know we, we're not on an industrial level in terms of our brewing yet but we still brew a lot of beer and what we you know those environments have to be clean it's a big struggle for people getting into the the, the microbrewery industry of managing that it's mm. you know late nights and that sort of thing and a guy had decided that after a few years it was you know time to call it a day it, it was it was too much work to, he was supplying restaurants and bars and that sort of thing in his area and you know people love the beer and it's really good but he just found it too hard work and i think that the really interesting thing that stuck for me was that he never learned anything from being successful ah. is that he had a separate business that was a, a design agency funnily enough and that did re- that did really well and he was very good and he had a really good team and, and what they were doing was uh, not repetitive but they had a they had a workflow and it was working really well for them so then he steps out of his comfort zone and he creates something different and creates something new and only when 
it wasn't going right did he start to really learn what he needed to do how hard it was and what challenges were that he had to overcome and obviously you can you'll either succeed or you'll fail at that stage Mm. but just because he failed doesn't mean he didn't learn anything he probably learned more than if it had just been really easy if it was really easy everyone would do it I think Edison said he's not more successful than anyone else. He just fails a lot more. Yeah, fail harder. Fail harder, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's the sort of thing, you know, I think you and I have both been involved with, uh, from a consultancy point of view for other people, and a lot of what we've learned that we're telling people about and informing people about is actually driven by our own experiences. Absolutely. From our own businesses and Mm. our own ideas or... You know, from trying to sell stuff at gigs, yeah, all of that kind of informs our decisions and informs our process of that didn't work. Yeah. What can I do better, and how can I approach that information to tell other people how to do it? Yeah, I mean, just obviously the the, the main crux of this this podcast is internet marketing. Yeah, but I'm always saying that you have to approach all business holistically. So um, I'm trying to think of. I don't want to kind of list a load of stuff I've done particularly, but, <laughs> but to, to give you an idea, I've, I've um, I started a badge company, which is bestbadges.co.uk. That was a long time ago. They're, they're still going, still going strong. Um, I've had a record shop. I started a record label. I did PR for bands for a while. This is all in addition to to um, running my core consultancy. Yeah. Uh, but what, yeah, you're completely right. What I realized over the years is the more stuff I do, the more stuff I learn. And it's kind of almost like having a, a sandpit to play in kind of doing other things yeah. to, to make the more dramatic mistakes. I mean, the classic thing is that um, people, my wife's a gardener, but if you saw our garden, it, it may not be the, the most tidy garden. And it's because that's her playground. That's yeah. where she learns. Yeah. And I think, I know I'm no different. I take horrible risks with some of my own projects. I wouldn't dare. No. It would just be completely inappropriate to do with clients. But the, the mistakes I can make... So in such a safe environment, yeah, and it's it, it is, and and you know, however you approach it, do you know, you've got your own your own business, and you that's to a certain extent sacred, and you want to make sure that that works right, and the thing you're doing for other people works well. Mm. But I think the greatest thing you can learn is almost like extracurricular activities. Yeah, is do, is doing those things outside that bubble, where and you know, do an evening class, do judo do something <laughs> where you're getting new experiences in and it mm. doesn't have to be a kind of big wide high risk business decision that you're going to learn from that's you know the the biggest failures create the biggest lessons that's mm. not necessarily true oh, you, you can I'm actually, not advocating like no no so don't, messing yeah, up. yeah don't don't go out and start a parachute company and you've never parachuted <laughs> in your life or something like that but damn it yeah <laughs> scratch that idea off um but there's a lot of things you can do and you can you can uh, learn from that are just small things that will help inform your business choices. Absolutely. Um, and you'll you'll make mistakes, and that's fine. It's it, people are really scared about kind of making small mistakes, big mistakes, or anything. Oh. And it's I, I don't see a problem. The most I've learned is getting something wrong. And everything I've done is from the 20-odd years mm. I've been doing graphic design. It's all self-taught. Mm. And along the way, I've made errors with uh, design artwork, uh, you know, artwork files and that sort of thing. And, and, but I've been trying to strive to do the next thing. Well, this is how we learn. I mean, I was going to title this podcast The Joy of Making Mistakes. <laughs> but just because I don't think that would have worked at a broader concept. I mean, there's too much explaining needed there, which you've now heard, you know, that you, the listener, have now heard a lot of. Um, but, you know, the ability to, to adapt, test and change yep. is is why a lot of businesses are still in business. Because no, nothing stays the same. E- even no. if you have, say, my wife's a gardener, her role... And the industry she works in changes massively all the time. You'd think that a tree is a tree and it's been that way for some time. But no, yeah. a, there's an, a lot of change. You know, regulations around chemicals. But but also, it's it's gardening's or horticulture, I should say. Sometimes I think gardeners, someone who 
just bought a spade and written a name on the side of their car. But <laughs> so she's a horticulturalist. But the, you know, if you look at organisations like the the Royal Horticultural Society, um, they've got a place. Uh, I'm going massively off track here. Place at Wisley, um, right. just around. We're in Ipswich, so it's the other side of the M25. And when you go there, they have these huge fields where they just try and grow stuff in weird ways, which sounds really bizarre, because when you go there and you look, I've been been several times with my wife, um, because there's a good cafe there, but I've been several times with my wife, and you look, and on first glance, you look out, and it's a load of dead stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason it's a load of dead stuff is that they're testing. Yeah. They're, they're you know, iterating, they're making changes, they're trying out new things. So you, I'm not saying you have to kill plants to kind of do well in business, but... No, and it should, you know... Perhaps there's an argument that what you do should be related in some way to the core business that you do. Mm. But I think you should probably go in the other direction where, you know, do things out, outside your comfort zone, but that are not of high risk to what your yeah. daily thing is. But just, you know, do them and, and learn things and go out, you know, even if it's down to volunteering or that sort of thing. It's mm. just get involved with something you've never been involved with before up until 2016 my involvement with the beer industry was drinking it <laughs> uh, and now I've learned an insane amount from obviously a kind of a core part of my working week mm. but it became that way through just learning something new and asking questions and and tripping over stuff in the process both physically and metaphorically but that's the that's the greatest way to learn is that if you can kind of put a little bit of uh, thought into something new that you don't understand that's possibly outside your comfort zone and just kind of grab it with both hands yeah. and you might drop it or you might learn something for it and if you dropped it you still learn something from it that you can probably break it if you drop it yeah as I found out with a quite important piece of brewing equipment <laughs> but it's, it's getting yourself into those situations where you can learn that sort of thing and then take take an understanding from it that you can apply to something else yep absolutely absolutely agree i mean even within our industry it's one of the reasons i like it is it evolves so fast so i want to have a quick discussion about something that we're talking about kind of the joy of making mistakes i kind of like that title now but i've noticed sometimes i don't know i've made a mistake until sometimes a long time after it has occurred yeah and i don't mean like doing something that doesn't go bad for a long time. I mean, yeah. sometimes in, in business and in marketing, you can do something. And sometimes when it's feeling really good, that's when you, you sort of start to realize that, no, actually, it is a mistake. Yeah. So what i have always trying to figure out is, can I generate some sort of safety net, some sort of checks and balances, so that even if something's feeling good, can I assess it and try and look at it as objectively as possible? Yeah, I think... I'm glad I, you said yes. <laughs> I, I think you're, if you create too much to, of a safe environment for yourself where you're doing things like that, you'll probably never take those bigger leaps forward. It's, it's the whole kind of self-congratulating thing. I mean, yeah. the, the, when you spend a lot of time sat in boardrooms in London in, for clients a long time ago, and I always liked the people in meetings that made everyone else nervous, the person who would say, sometimes needlessly, well, to play devil's advocate for a moment. Yeah. Or not. Or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you've, got, if you've got a room full of people and everyone's just patting each other on the back, yeah. it, it doesn't, no one gets anywhere. And no. I think that that's how you will, you do end up making some fairly catastrophic mistakes. I think it's the, if you've got a process where you can not self-regulate, but self-assess what what you do and whether you leave it for a while and come back to it and look at it so whether it's you know you make a change on a website and whether it's your own website or if it's a client's website and you're working with that client to kind of build something that's going to work really well for them the the only way you're going to know that that was a mistake is over time where the decision that the information that's coming in is different mm. or that the, the audience or the data has changed in some way and that that can be that's a that's not necessarily a mistake because factors have changed what you were doing at the time of the information you were given was this was the best course of action I think that's quite important to point out because I mean I've got lots of friends who, who are in the same industry as us because weirdly we don't see each other as really being competitors but but one of the things 
that I've always been proud of of all my friends in the industry is that they're prepared to admit when they've made a mistake. Yeah. And just as 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 James is saying, just because you've made a decision that turns out to be wrong doesn't mean that you were wrong in making that decision. Absolutely. Especially because the things that you can learn from it. One of the best phrases anyone ever says in a crisis situation is, "Okay." how can we prevent this happening again or yep. how can we improve on on processes yeah and it's the it's the, the the you know if you if you are um negligent in any way you know that that's a mistake for a completely different set of reasons mm. if you are working to a goal with the information that you've been given and you do something at the time when you look back at it later on that in hindsight that might not have been the right thing to do but it's it's an evolutionary thing where if you can go back and kind of assess what you've been doing, whether it's on project A and you're over here working on project B and you look at something you did on project A and it wasn't necessarily the wrong thing to do, but you can improve on it on something you're doing on project B that's going to make it more effective with the information that you've got from a previous project. Mm. There's, it's not really a mistake. You're just learning as you go. And it, it's, it's, you know, there's very many shades of grey in terms of what failure is. Yeah. And, and again, it's making those, it's, it's learning from, and again, it's, you know, mistake is probably too, you know, this is probably getting a little bit too vague in terms of what a mistake is compared to what a educational process actually yeah. is. But everything should be a learning process. What, you know, the, the things I learned 10 years ago probably only 10% of them are actually still valid in terms of what... I could probably only remember about 10%, well, yeah, yeah. to be fair. And, you know, in terms of you know, credit card payments online mm. or modern design principles or the basics of setting out effective web pages and that sort of thing, 10 years ago would be completely rewritten. Yeah. And the, you know, the basics are still the same, but the core best practices are completely, completely different. Only through slowly evolving through those changes over time do you then look back and go god that was a terrible way of doing it back then but that was the only way of doing it back mm. then and that goes back to the whole bs or before stripe well, <laughs> bs is a terrible acronym for that that's great um of it was bs actually to be fair of go, having to go to traditional banks and trying to explain to them of what you're trying to do and if you're still doing that now you're making a mistake. See, when when I first saw Stripe come out, and I was used to the the um, the principle of going to a bank, and I mean, some of the banks that were set this up with, not only expensive, but you had to get a lot of other things in line as well, and you had to fill out paper forms. Yeah, which was was crazy. But <laughs> but when Stripe first came along, and to 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 a certain extent, when PayPal first came along, yeah. I was looking at the people who founded those companies and thinking they are taking such a massive risk. Yeah. Not just a small, we're going to slightly change the way... This is this is why um, I'm fascinated by companies that, that try and disrupt the market. Yeah. Um, anyone who's sort of studied business knows there's several core reasons to start a business and the ones who want to disrupt the market I always think are the most interesting. They're not quite kind of fly or burn... But they're probably closer to burn than it is clo- it, that. Is that bleeding edge end of the businesses? The people who ask the difficult questions, mm. and they you can either the answer might not be what you expect it to be, in which case is where the the, the burn can happen, or the people are not, might not be ready for the question that you're asking, which is again where the, the burn can happen as well. But again, if you get the timing of the question right, you can massively disrupt. An industry, whether for good or bad. I mean, you look at something like Uber in mm. terms of a disruptor. I think most people, convenience aside, would look at that from a bad point of view of how how they've disrupted most businesses yeah. in terms of you know, traditional taxis or the gig economy and that sort of thing. You can also look at things from Stripe's point of view as a industry disruptor and off the back of that you've had things like Monzo come along and they tend to you know if people get if people ask the right question and 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 you fly you tend to get other people then following in behind you which then starts to revolutionize the industry you can't as as a single entity it's difficult to kind of do that huge revolution thing and with Uber you had things like Halo and that sort of thing come along and fill in behind them and if you can try and kind of create the momentum of a revolution then that's that's great but other people have to kind of come there with you you can't be a single entity trying to 
No, no, I, I, I see. I'm trying it. to do it. The, the, the thing that interests me about disruptors, so we're going wildly off topic, but I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to talk about. Yeah. With, with a lot of marketing things I do, or a lot of messages that we put out, because we do a lot of copywriting, we have a, um, a sort of an objective safety net, as it were, of saying, so what? Yeah. You know, any, any marketing message ever, so what? But as a disruptor, you know, if, if you're going to start something that's completely new and someone says, so what? It, it kind of falls outside of that because the so what would be, don't know, let's find out. <laughs> yes, and I think you can, you can also, you don't have to make big uh, technological or society changes to be a disruptor. You can do it through marketing alone hmm. in terms of what your message is and that sort of thing. And I think one thing that always sticks with me is a slogan came up with for an estate agent's was if you hate estate agents, you'll hate us the least. Right. And, and it's you can disrupt through just a message rather than actually changing any sort of business principle. Oh, yeah, or it, d- like it doesn't have to be a, a massive sea change. I mean when when I started the, the best when I started Best Badgers, I'm gonna mention them again, bestbadgers.co.uk. Nice. when I started them, it was purely because I was in a band or still playing bands now, and we wanted some badgers. And um, the minimum order of badges at the time, anywhere you looked, was about 20,000. Mm-hmm. And I was running a business, but my, my bandmates um, were on the dole. <laughs> we had no money. We used to do car boot sales to raise money for recording <laughs> sessions. So that's how kind of, you know, things, we were not rich band and we sucked. So we, you know, no one ever wanted to give us any money. But I, I sort of looked at how much a badge machine cost, um, got a credit card, bought a badge machine, and I started doing minimum order coins of 100. Yeah, which kind of if you broke down the the if you broke down the per unit price, obviously it was a lot more expensive than buying twenty thousand. But I almost instantly found this market, and I mean it gained traction so fast I couldn't cope with it, and that's yep. when kind of got other people involved, and it it developed into what it is now. So that that's what anyway that was going back. That's almost going against what you said, James. That you know that was an example of me disrupting the market by just changing one of the fundamental precepts of the market. Yeah. But in terms of people changing the market with a marketing message, that's something that I'm currently really interested in. Um, can you think of any other good examples? Uh, there was uh, a great one was a car rental company. Uh, I think it was Avis. And they, in America, and their tagline was that we're second best and we're happy being there because <laughs> we always try harder. Or something How along cool. those lines. Like they didn't want to be number one. They they were They were happy kind of pushing and always striving to go forward I've, and i've seen that approach with several things when when um god it must have been years ago now when the phantom menace came out yeah um well, there we're was... the fifth worth star wars film and that's fine <laughs> no, it wasn't that but it, it was at the same time as one of the austin powers films right and it was at the cinema and the austin powers trailer said if you see one film this summer see star wars if you, <laughs> you see, see another two, yeah. see austin powers <laughs> But, the, yeah, the power of a good slogan, I mean, we're definitely wandering away from mistakes now. One yeah. of my favourites at the moment, it's not a company I'm a big fan of um, because I got locked in one of their car parks overnight in Catford once. Right. Although I did write a book about it that, that ranked on Amazon really well for a while. So NCP Car Parks. Their slogan at the moment I absolutely love, and their slogan is, We Care Where You Park. That I, I really like that because nice. it, it's sort of... I'm trying to insinuate, I guess, that they actually look after your car when yeah. you park there. But it's also kind of like strangely stating the obvious. Of course, they care where yeah. you park. Yeah. They want your money. Want your money. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. You, you can look if you look past the. It's a very clever message because they've put care in there, mm. and that can be that that can be read two ways in terms of if it's a we want to look after you or we care because we want your money. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's the greatest Either way, it's, it, it's lodged in my mind, so yeah. it's worked. It's, it's I'm not kind of more likely to give them money now, but, well, shit, we're here talking about them in a podcast, yeah. so that slogan has worked. That, again, there's, there's two other examples I'll give that work really well. There's one that I came up with and one that's the kind of the holy grail was uh, in the 2011, 2012 around that time, I can't remember exactly when, um, we created the slogan for the Curious County. And that... The Curious County being... Suffolk. Yep. And getting people to come visit Suffolk. And it was a, it was a digital campaign and we had to do something that was going to... The, the whole brief was to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. So we thought we were being a little bit disruptive and we didn't realise quite how disruptive we were being. And we ended up being interviewed by Australian news... And oh, really? Yeah, it went it, it went global, 
because of how angry people were that we'd called Suffolk curious. Now, so here's interesting. Was that a mistake? Or uh, if, you're, if you're going for publicity, no. I th- well, I think yeah. Is that you know the the worst thing? It, the worst thing in PR is when nobody talks about you. Yeah. And and we'd created some. We'd created a monster essentially, and <laughs> that we thought that the way we approached the 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 design, and we we worked with an illustrator who was very much kind of Beatles, Pepperland style illustrations Mm. and we'd gone slightly off the wall and people got so angry about the fact that we'd called Suffolk curious because they were looking at Suffolk that curious was a bad thing and in our heads it was like well no curiosity is brilliant because that's how you learn yeah but also you and I you and I as musicians come from sort of the old we come from the alternative side of things yeah yeah. so so we see curious and bizarre as as, yeah and 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 MPs were talking in the house of commons about it oh well done and you know it 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 went far better than we thought it was going to go it you perhaps you know you could say well you did that by mistake arguably we did because we wanted to create something that was disruptive but it's when one of the, the the greatest teeth grinding moments I have is when people come to me and say, "I want something that's going to be viral." <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. You have to use. I also say, um, I, to be fair, none of my clients. Have, I sort of create a culture with my clients that, that of managing expectations, being yeah. exciting and being yeah. kind of woo. Yeah, but also managing expectations. But I've been at a bunch of networking things, and people go, "What I want is a viral video campaign." Yeah, and the thing I say is, for one thing. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But secondly, can you actually cope with the the attention that if it works and if Absolutely. it does go, but can you cope with what's going to come after that? Yeah. Even and if it's just a massive outstripping of demand of what you can actually supply. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very and it's impossible to make something viral unless you've got an insane amount of money and an insane amount and an infinite amount of time mm. to go about and do it. You have to kind of plant the seed. And see see what happens with it. And peop- and the only reason people will talk about things is a if it's an incredibly positive thing, and it's more likely they'll talk about it if they find it a negative thing. Yeah. In which case, the positive will come in and support you and amplify it, and it will step mm. up. You can't do that organically. Yeah. That that sort of thing happens. You know, most recently with uh, the Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy. God, I only found thing. out about that this morning. Yeah. I, I didn't know who either of the people no, were. No, I was like, <laughs> I rec- like, I, I recognise Rooney, Twitter and but you know, in, in terms that's viral. In no way was that intended to be viral, unless there's some incredible marketing campaign where they've got a TV series coming out in the new year. Do you know? What? I thought it was a joke. I genuinely did because the way that I've read it, it was like a note that Coley. I've not. Yeah, she's done it on Apple Notes or something, and then screenshot the way she's written it. Oh yeah, I was, don't think she wrote. I don't know her, but but the this the way she wrote it, she wrote it with a classic marketing thing, which was a sting. Yeah. So the way most people, if they're incensed about something, they'd say you wouldn't believe what so and so's done, yeah. and then they'll give you the detail. Exactly. It's the same it, as the, the the kind of the BuzzFeed stories, like you won't believe what this Hollywood celebrity did next. But she, whoever wrote it, I mean, she may well have written it. She wrote yeah. it so perfectly. Oh yeah. As a marketing, because the people sting talking was the about last it from a line. literary like a narrative arc. On online, just going, yeah, this is one of the greatest short stories ever written. I was assuming that this Rebecca, whoever it was, was either a fictional character or I'd missed out on a running joke or... And, you know, that's an example of viral. You you can't pay for that sort of thing to happen. Mm. Even if you're doing a marketing campaign and you think something's going to be a bit disruptive, unless you... uh, Unless it kind of catches people's uh, anger... (laughs) in one way shape or form or you've got a lot of money to generate enough eyeballs on it that it it eventually starts to snowball through sheer force yeah it, you can't orchestrate that sort of thing to it's happen. also not that even if you have got unlimited reach it's not that easy to brute force things no. like that no it can run out you you can throw as much at it as you want and you can get it everywhere but people will just either become desensitized to it mm. or Nowadays, they'll just say, "I don't want to see this advert." I think the amount of companies—if you could brute force it—how horrible place actually the, the the whole marketing industry would be. Yeah, because Coca-Cola, Nike, God, any massive brand—they'd be brute forcing all the time, and Absolutely. they're not. And you look at what they do and the effort they put into their marketing message and how fine-tuned it is for different territories. You know, we're going back to earlier about Walmart going into Germany mm. and 
saying good morning to people and the, the German audience just punching them in the <laughs> face because it's not what you do. I apologise to any German listeners if yeah. that's completely <laughs> yeah. untrue. But, uh, but you you have to tailor for different markets and that's, you know, and the same with the car names and the Nova and that sort mm. of thing. That's where big mistakes that can be avoided can happen. And it's it, it's the, you know, you should, if you're going into a new territory and you don't understand the territory, understand the territory first before saying anything. Do you know why, um, so this is just a, a funny aside, um, don't say the word, do you know why there's no Portuguese knife manufacturers that are popular in the UK? Figure out what the Portuguese word for knife is and you'll get it. I hope okay. it's not apocryphal. Right. <laughs> don't try and figure it out now. That, that's yeah. something for later. Uh, the, the one other story I wanted to kind of talk about, great disruptors. Uh, if you look up a guy called Rory Sutherland on YouTube, he does a talk. I think, I'm not sure if it was a TED talk. I think it might have been slightly earlier. Um, he does a talk about uh, disruption and, and, and changing people's perception of products without actually changing the product, mm. which is a thing we always used to do when I had an agency called Condiment. It was about change the don't change the products, change the perception of the product. Yeah. You know, try and work out the best way to communicate things without having to completely re-engineer what the product is. And that came off the back of this talk by Rory Sutherland. And he was working for an agency in Canada at the time and they'd got a junior come in, you know, whether they were interning or work experience or they were just a junior designer, I'm not sure, to come in and basically look at shreddies. And sales in shreddies in Canada were slowly tailing off because there was just no real hook into to shreddy. Yeah, shreddy. <laughs> it, it, you know, and there was there was more exciting things happening in the cereal market, which sounds like a weird thing to say. Um, <laughs> but it was the, the challenge was I don't know if Golden Grahams had suddenly exploded over there or or what. But the 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 brief was to kind of create something that would people would engage with. Mm. So this junior sat there and kind of drew a shreddy, which is a, a square. And sat there and said, "Oh, well, why don't we do a special edition called Diamond Shaped Shreddies?" <laughs> Which was just turning the shreddy at a forty-five degree angle. But they they ran with the idea to the absolute limit, where they were doing tasting focus groups, where they'd walk into a room with a plate with a, a, a classic shreddy yeah. um, presented flat on. And then a new diamond-shaped shreddy at a 45-degree wow. angle. And because you're asking someone in a focus group what their opinion is and they don't want they're to feel like they're giving the wrong answer, they'll prefer the flavour of the diamond-shaped shaped shreddy. <laughs> so all of this kind of went out, and this is pre, this is early YouTube yeah. campaign stuff. And that, that did really, you know, that absolutely exploded. And sales of shreddies went up. And then they took it to the next level where they started doing combo packs of classic and diamond-shaped <laughs> shreddies for people oh, who like both. And no, people people got so sucked up into it that they started to believe that the manufacturer of a diamond-shaped shreddy was completely different to making a square one. <laughs> and because the marketing was so strong and so straight-faced, mm. there was it, there was no you know the the, hub, the packaging changed everything. They went all in on it. That the the belief was that if you bought a combo pack, there'd be the perfect blend of flavors. But it was nothing changed the no. product remained exactly the same and it's if you can find something around you know changing the perception of the product rather than sitting there going how can i make my product better was it one of the there's a campaign running at the moment with marmite um i don't know if people outside of the uk will know what marmite is i think australians know they're vegemite, vegemite I think it's pretty yeah. much the same but the thing with Marmite, they they had a brilliant campaign a few years ago, and they just acknowledged some people love it, some people hate it, yep. and it pretty much is true. I mean, yeah. I, I hated it until I, I thought I hated it, then I tried it, and now if I go abroad, I take a little jar with me. Absolutely. I think it's illegal to go into some countries. You can't go into Canada with is Marmite because it? it's got live culture in it. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a yeast extract. So yeah. you're you're basically taking a, a an organic time bomb into it. Oh, unfortunately, I've never been to Canada. No, only for that reason, I'd love to, <laughs> love to go. just just to leave some Shit, Marmite. Behind. This is going to be my mistake. <laughs> yeah. I said I'd never been, never want to go to Canada because of Marmite. But anyway, so Marmite, I liked that because. I couldn't really, I still don't really fully understand the angle of it, unless it was to get people who already like Marmite to go, oh yeah, I do like it, and go buy it. I think that must have been kind of what they were going for. But yeah. it was such a genius thing. But their current campaign, they're now putting like swirly things on the front of the pots to try and, they're like trying to do like a hypnosis thing, like, 
if you you know you will love you will Marmite love now, which I think is clearly still not going to work yeah. because it is such a such a dividing thing. But it's probably actually doing the same thing that the love hate campaign did. So the people who haven't bought Marmite for a while will identify with that and absolutely. And I think the the, the one thing to remember is what you don't want to do is go out and change the character of your brand suddenly is that you, you can come up with these kind of marketing messages that perhaps change the perception of something but you don't want to be out of character with what your brand is marmite is so big and has always had a has always had that thing to lean back on where you know a lot of people hate it and a lot of people love it mm. is that there's something they can hook into and the diamond shape shape shreddies thing shreddies has always been a kind of accessible cereal brand that's never taken itself too seriously the the big mistake you can make is take those principles and apply it to quite a uh straight serious business mm. brand you you wouldn't want kind of kpmg coming out and doing something wacky <laughs> yeah it, it, there's one of the transitions that's really interested me over the last well, to be fair probably the last 50 to 20 years is mcdonald's yeah they've gone from bright brash yellows you know, Ronald McDonald terrifying the crap out of kids and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. And they've transitioned into what is now almost like a farm shop appearance. Oh, but yeah. It wasn't an instant thing. It was a very gradual change of perception. A Big Mac hasn't changed since, what, the 40s, 50s? No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that that's external forces changing what your brand message it, is. They've and they've, got, they've, they've rolled with it really well. And you look at uh, Burger King on the other side of things is they're still quite kind of there's still shots of fire and mm. it's all flames and 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 they're doing some quite disruptive stuff you look at if you uh i won't go into too much detail on here but if you look at what Burking are doing in terms of to disrupt what mcdonald's do with their messaging it's really interesting because they're like the naughty schoolboy. they've taken <laughs> this kind of hamburglar mindset where they're doing slightly crazy naughty things and it's still uh, high speed kind of hits of excitement and yeah. whereas McDonald's because you know perhaps it's in the UK where McDonald's was always the everyone pointed the finger if something was unhealthy yeah uh, it would be at the fast food thing and McDonald's were the leader so they they were in the spotlight and Burger King could do something slightly more disruptive because they're number two and no one's really looking at them mm. and they've taken that and, and rolled with it and the characters expanded with it whereas McDonald's have had to go down the route of you know, reiterating the perceived health benefits or or the provenance of their product. Provenance is a real big and thing. And that sort of thing. So there's big kind of uh, feel, you know, landscape shots on the side of their lorries yeah. and that sort of thing. Whereas Burger King are still just going, it's just, just whack a massive Burger King logo on there and we'll do some, <laughs> something disruptive with our marketing. McDonald's have been uh, very cleverly read the audience and adjusted their messaging to try and... Uh, approach it from a not you know they never allude to it being a health food but the the psychological aspects of green fields and um, the enjoyment and the lifestyle aspect of that has started to fit towards a I know it's fine we are healthier Mm. no we're never going to say we're healthy but we're healthier now and still nothing's really actually changed in terms of the core product. A good example of this is around here, I don't know if it's the same all around the world, in, in Ipswich there's a bunch of Shell garages. Only some of them aren't called Shell now. No. Some of them are called Harvest Energy. Yeah. And I think there's one somewhere I saw elsewhere called Leaf. They're yep. still Shell. They must still be yeah. Shell. They can't be entirely new franchise that's popped up with petrol station. But yeah, the product's not. It's still petrol. Yeah. It's still a finite resource. It's still kind of... Um, you know, it's a good one Tesco's do as well, is that people hate the areas that people who don't like Tesco extras, Tesco go in as one stop. Is that Tesco's? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Still Tesco. I have no idea. Yeah. So people, you know, they'll go in and do the market research and go, do you, you know, get get the sentiment of what people are attuned to in what mm. their, their buying habits are and that sort of thing. And, you know, they'll do a questionnaire or something like that, a bit of market research. The same as what McDonald's franchises do and work out where the best place to put the McDonald's is. Mm. If people aren't attuned or completely against the whole belief that Tesco is a is a good thing, they'll just put a one stop in. <laughs> no Still idea. Tesco. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's those sorts of things where, you know, Tesco have gathered, you know, they've learnt that 
through putting a Tesco extra in and it not working. And they have, they have well, there's one in Kesgrave that shut down, yeah. wasn't there? You know, yeah. So it does happen. I mean, it could have been for any reason. In fact, I think that one was, um, they want to put such a big one in Martlesham, they had to provide something for the community. So yeah. who knows? I don't, I'm not going to get into discussion on whether it... But then it, if you go down the road to Rushmere, there's a one-stop. Yeah, I and have it, no idea. Just, it's just, you know, shifting things around. And it's, again, it's Tesco at a massive level learning from that mistake of going in and thinking that... Well done it, for mentioning mistakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll drag it back around to... But it, it is learning from, you know, it, it, pe- people aren't necessarily going to use it for a lot of different reasons, but we can we can change the perception of the product by... Well, it's quite brutal in their sense, mm. is they're giving it a completely different name and a completely different frontage. But they've learned that from being quite gung-ho and going in and going, well, it's convenience. Everyone loves convenience. Yeah. Let's, you know... Convenience, everyone, and people then going, yeah, but you're Tesco. I don't want to use Tesco. Mm. They go, okay, I'm ever so sorry. Here, have have a one stop. Oh yeah, one stop's fine. That's good. Still <laughs> Tesco. So it, it's those it's those things that you can learn from insight and information where you can kind of go, oh, okay, that was probably not the right way to go about it. Let's re- let's look at a new way of doing it and and rewrap the same thing in a different message. I like it. Right. We've been talking for nearly an hour now, so... Crumbs. Going to wrap it up. I think it's been a really interesting talk. Thanks for coming, James. No worries. Um, I think, obviously, get you back for for some more kind of conversations like this. Ramblings. Yeah. Um, So, I've been Andrew. This has been James Kindred. And if you want to find out more about James and kind of what he does, you can go to fork.uk. No. Sorry. What was it? Fork.uk.net. Oh, I was right. Yeah. I was nearly right. See, that or was a mistake have, that I'm going to learn from. Massive name drop. If you have a look at what we're doing with the beers, uh, just Google Big Drop Brew and uh, we'll, we'll pop up somewhere at the top. Hopefully, unless someone's advertising around us, we'll, we'll be at the top. I the think organic. you've definitely earned a mention of, of your beer brand with that. <laughs> okay, so that's it for this episode of Internet Marketing for Humans. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it interesting. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please kind of get in touch through andrewlaws.com. Let us know what you'd like us to explore, discuss, or any kind of hints and tips, things that are confusing you. Apart from that, please subscribe and tell everyone we exist. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.